Good morning. It's great to see you here at Hope and Anchor Church. And uh, looking forward to opening God's Word today as we continue in our uh, Law and Prophets series. This is a, a teaching series we began last week uh, in uh, Matthew, in the book of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel. Uh, what we've done, as you remember, maybe, is uh, previously we spent time, we did a teaching series called The Beautiful Attitudes, which is, uh, was a teaching series, a learning adventure through uh, uh, the Beatitudes. And then, at a later date, we did uh, another one called um, Our Father. And uh, we spent several weeks just working our way through the Lord's Prayer. You see, what Jesus was doing on, the, on that hillside in Matthew was really bringing to the forefront kind of the key attitudes, the key understandings, and the key behaviors of those who would follow after him. Because all these people were coming to Jesus saying, hey, we want to be your disciple. We want to be uh, your followers. We want, to, we want to come under your teachings. And he wanted to make it very clear, well, this is what that's like. Because not only is it you listening to my teachings, it's actually you becoming more and more outfitted for life in my kingdom. He didn't want us to be uh, ill-fitted. He didn't want us to be surprised that uh, life in his kingdom required certain things of us. Uh, surrender, dying to ourselves, uh, being humble, being meek, uh, expressing God's love in, in multiple ways, especially uncomfortable ways sometimes. He wanted to tell us those things up front and be very clear about those things. And over and over again, as you probably remember if you've read the Gospels, is people came to Jesus, He told them what was expected, and they were like, oh, no thanks. Actually, no thanks. I think I left the oven on at home. I'll be back, Jesus, thanks. You know, and they never came back because what He asked was difficult. It was, it was hard. This was a hard teaching, the scriptures often say. And many went home. And Jesus at times, I think, took this really uh, to heart. And remember that one time so many people left that he turns to his disciples and he's like, what about you? Are you going to leave me now too? And they're like, no, where would we go? <laughs> where would we go? Because you have the words of life. At the core, at the center, what you are leading us toward, Jesus, is life. And that's worth everything. That's worth everything, and I think that's where Jesus wants us to get as well. That we would say with him, with the disciples, where else, where else would we go? We owe everything to you. Your, your way actually leads to life. Life, abundant, full, and free, now leading on into eternity. So where else would we go? What you're offering to us, Jesus, is of supreme Worth of supreme value. Nothing is worth trading for that. You're stuck with me, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, kind of imagine saying that, Jesus. Sorry, Jesus. You're, you're stuck with me. And he looks at you, smiling and nodding, like, I know. I know. I'm omniscient. I know. <laughs> I know what I've got myself into. Uh, that was kind of a big eye-opener to me when the day I realized that God, in his perfect knowledge knew exactly what he was getting himself into when he called me to himself through his Holy Spirit. And that's the same thing for you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that remarkable? That God is not like, oh, I hope I saved the receipt on this one. <laughs> you know, I, I hope I uh, am still within that 30-day uh, free returns on uh, this guy or this girl. No, he's like, no, I knew exactly what I was getting myself into when I called you into my family. You belong here. So... Um, a time is coming 
and is now hopefully soon at hand where I will no longer be referring to the COVID-19 lockdown pandemic as my primary source reference for introductions of sermons, but today is not that day. Uh, as you know, I write quite a few weeks ahead and these were the sermons I was writing during the lockdown. So it's kind of neat in that it's a time capsule, but I keep dragging you back to that moment of shutdown. I keep dragging you back to that dreadful time <laughs> of the uh, lockdown experience. So I'm sorry. We'll get beyond this eventually, but not today. Here's something I think we can agree upon though. The COVID-19 lockdown, the pandemic was a dreadful situation. I don't think anybody thought that was great, that it was awesome, that we uh, hid in our homes for two months when the, when the virus wasn't even in the Midwest. How was that? That was awesome. Hindsight's 2020, right? <laughs> we see clearly now it's like, oh, we jumped the gun a little bit. Um, but anyway, all the panic, all the disruption, all the fear-mongering, yikes. It was rough, wasn't it? Do you remember 2020? I mean, it's not that far in the past, right? I think we've yet to realize all the ways that the pandemic and the subsequent response have traumatized us and how they've really changed our world, how there's really no going back to normal. There's no going back to things how they were. I mean, now you watch TV shows and people are like standing there with naked faces within arm's reach talking. And you're like, oh, that's risky. That is so risky. We were watching a show last night, or I was watching a, a video about a guy going to run a race on YouTube or something. Anyway, he's flying on an airplane with no mask. And my first thought was like, he's going to get in trouble. He's going to be in trouble if he doesn't put his mask on. But then I looked at the date, and it was 2018. So, lucky duck. <laughs> Yeah, we don't know how it's all changed our world. I don't think we can go back. Over the course of 2020, I spent a lot of time frustrated with the situation. Um, uh, I was frustrated with the virus itself, but I think I was even more frustrated by all the ways that we were being bossed around. Man, we were being bossed around, weren't we? It was irksome to me that despite all of the innovations we've made in science and in medicine over the past 100 years, our 2020 response to the COVID-19 up until that vi the vaccine came out was really straight out of the 1918 <laughs> Spanish flu playbook. That was it. That was our uh, put a mask on and hide. Hide, friends. Hide. Buy toilet paper. You know, I mean, that was our response. <laughs> but I digress. This isn't really what I'm talking about ultimately today. Lest you think that I'm being all negative Nancy about the coronavirus, I will say this. Some good things did come from that experience. Okay? I'll, I'll throw this out there. Uh, certain good things did come from our... Uh, strained experience together under the lockdown. I would say uh, from families spending more time together uh, during the lockdown to parents, uh, a parent's role in their children's education being rediscovered and respected, uh, to businesses reimagining the workplace and pivoting uh, their production and service delivery models. I mean, it's great that we have DoorDash now. I mean, we have Grubhub. We have all these like, you can order anything to your house now. I like this. I don't know when was the last time we actually went to the grocery store, right? It's been a while. Yeah, thanks, coronavirus. I am hopeful that these innovations will bear positive fruit going forward. Now, for me, I'm going to unzip the viscera a little bit here. Uh, for me, one of the most welcome emphases uh, to emerge from the pandemic is the emphasis on hygiene, on the disinfection of common public surfaces. 
Praise the Lord. I'm okay with this. Even before our hyper-awareness and vigilance about germs and, the, and virus droplets, I felt a small thrill upon uh, coming across a, a, a Germex dispenser out in public. I would see it and something in me would be like, oh yes, oh yes. And I would just almost instinctively stick my hand under it because I wanted some of that life-giving nectar. Um, I loved finding a Germex dispenser out in public, even before the coronavirus. I have long dabbled on the fringes of germophobia. Anyone else? Like a dabbler on the fringes of germophobia? Anyone? Okay, I see those hands. Um, I routinely avoid touching stuff when I'm out and about. Just, just being honest. I have been trapped in public restrooms for a long time, waiting for someone to open the door. Anyone else? Um, I routinely avoid touching stuff. I imagine, just instinctively, I imagine the teeming bacterial cesspools at my fingertips. This is what I think about when I'm touching, reaching toward public surfaces or handles, right? Um, for example, long have I been horrified of the reports of the bacterial and booger life that dwells inside bowling ball finger holes. Have you ever read into, looked into this? It's horrifying. You stick, you go, pay money, laugh and play with your friends, put on goofy shoes, and then stick your fingers in these heaving holes of horror. It's true. Look it up. That's what Google's for. Uh, let's see. Public door handles, like at Casey's or Come and Go, right? Public door handles, which I always use the left one. Why? Because fewer people have grabbed it. Most people are right-handed. They grab the right one. You're good. Pro tip, right? That's a hot take. Grab the left one and grab low. Most people grab the top of the right one. Just saying. Uh, let's see. Uh, Public door handles, uh, public bathroom doors opening inward. This, my friends, should be illegal. You know, people got like all up in the air about like, oh, Malaysia outlawed chewing gum, which I think is fine. Um, but this should be outlawed. You're diligent. You go to the restroom, you wash your hands, you practice good public hygiene, and then you face a door that you have to grab to open. What is wrong with these engineers? You know, now they've got that foot thing, but if you don't have that good hamstring strength, if you're wearing Birkenstocks like this, you're stuck. <laughs> I don't know, am I over, overstating this? But yeah, anyway, bathroom, public bathroom doors that open inward should be illegal. These have long been on my no-touch list, and I hope they're on yours as well. Uh, but anyway, ultimately, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about escalator handrails. <laughs> Let's talk about escalator handrails real quick. Um, those festering belts of malignant contagion <laughs> operating in our malls and airports. Every hand of every person that has ridden along this autom automatic stairway or walkway has caressed it. And the residue of everything that they have recently touched, rubbed, wiped, or picked has been deposited on this malignant recirculating surface. Yet there we are, happy, travelers, resting our hands on this, 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 this satanic surface. Perhaps right now you are feeling with me a little bit of that squirming sense. This is what I feel when I'm out in public oftentimes. I'm putting myself at risk, being jostled about because I will not touch these things. 
But my friends, I have good news. Good news. I recently read an article heralding the invention of an escalator sanitizing device that uses UV light to disinfect these very handrails. According to a Mental Floss article from July 2017, before the pandemic, someone had like a prophetic unction, like I, I should create this thing. This miraculous new device sanitizes escalator handrails while they're in use. The article reads, if you have ever hesitated to touch a well-used escalator handrail, I have, for fear of contracting some disease from the masses, yes, LG Innotech has an answer for you. The company just released a handrail sterilizer that uses UV light to kill nearly every germ coating the rubber belts. They admit germs are coating the rubber belts. As the railings move from the, with the escalator, they pass through the UV light, which kills 99.99% of germs. Watch out for that 0.01%, right? I'm not sure what germ that is. Um, the sterilizer is placed just before escalator users hop on, ensuring the handrails are still relatively, that's troubling, still relatively clean when you grab on uh, at the bottom. The, the device is a little bigger than a regular hand sanitizer and starts automatically when the escalators begin moving. It runs on power generated by the movement of the escalator. I think our biblical response to this is, blow the trumpet in Zion, praise the Lamb, <laughs> peace on earth and goodwill to men. These things exist in our world. This is very good news indeed. Now, what, is it, what would I glean from this Mental Floss article is, is this, and you may know this, but it is in the very nature of sunlight to disinfect and to sanitize whatever it touches. This is just what UV light does. It's often been said that sunlight is the best disinfectant for this reason. Things that are out in the sunlight will become sanitized. Why? Because of the UV light. Sunlight is the primary source of ultraviolet light in our world and in our daily life. So, <laughs> this is where this is all leading. I find it interesting that Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, you're like, wow, <laughs> he stuck the landing. I did. I brought it all around to Jesus. I find it interesting that Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, announced to his followers that you are the light of the world. Let's not lose the, 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 the sense that Jesus meant something when he said, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Last week we heard Jesus tell us that we are the salt of the earth. We discussed what it meant to be salt and how the very how the mere presence of us as salt in the on the uh, salt among the, the the world ought to have a preserving and enhancing effect in our environment just like salt does. Right? It doesn't mean Jesus is like, I'm just identifying you as salt. I'm sending you as salt. To not just be salt in the world, but to do what salt does in the world. Preserving, enhancing. Jesus was clearly using an analogy in calling his people salt and light. How do I know this? Well, I know that we are not actually beings made out of salt. And we're not just quivering you know, balls of light. I mean, we're not those things, literally. It's an analogy. Symbolically, he's saying you are these things. We are to be, be salt. We are to be light in our world in a spiritual, in a relational, and in a very practical sense. We are to have the effect. We are to have the influence of salt. We are to have the effect and influence of light in our world. So, what did Jesus mean when he said... 
that you are to be the light of the world. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, read verses 13 through 16. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's worthless. Verse 14, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So, uh, speaking of light, D.A. Carson has said, Light is a universal religious symbol. In the Old Testament, as in the New Testament, it, is most frequently, it most frequently symbolizes purity as opposed to filth, truth or knowledge as opposed to error or ignorance, and divine revelation and presence as opposed to reprobation and abandonment by God. So light is a common religious symbol, uh, and uh, strongly so in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Light does certain things. Light serves necessary functions, right? By it we, we see. By it we avoid danger. We find our way. We create. We grow. We play. And we clean. We cleanse stuff with light. So sending his followers into the world to be light and to do what light does, this, my friends, is an important distinction and an important vocation. God is sending us with a job to do. Just as He sends us to be salt, He's sending us also to be light. And perhaps most importantly, this distinction is one that Jesus shares with us. You perhaps recall that Jesus first identified who as the light of the world? Himself. He said, I am the light of the world. Look at John 8, 12. Look at John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you, will not, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. It leads to life. So Jesus, in calling us, saying, hey, you're the light of the world. He's identifying us with Him. He's first the light of the world, and He's sending us out to do likewise, be likewise. Uh, N.T. Wright explains this identification well. He says, Jesus brought it all into reality in His own person. First, in His own person, Jesus brought it all into reality in His own person. He was the salt of the earth. He was the light of the world, set up on a hilltop, crucified for all the world to see, becoming a beacon of hope and new life for everybody, drawing people to worship the Father, embodying the way of self-giving love, which is the deepest fulfillment of the law and prophets. So, to be identified with Christ, to be one of His people, we become what He is in the world. Have you ever understood your faith in Jesus this way? By placing our faith in Him and saying, Hey, I'll follow you, Jesus. We are becoming what He is. He's inviting us to share something of His essence, of His character and nature in the world. We go out revealing and representing Christ Himself in our very own lives. Those who are in Christ have become the salt. Those who are in Christ have become the light that is so necessary to life, to health, to vitality, to fruitfulness, just like Jesus was, just like Jesus is.
How does that make you feel? And there's something to this. There's meaning and purpose and value to it. And we're not just to learn and to, to memorize stuff. We're actually to step into our calling and to step into our vocation because of who we are in Jesus Christ. That identification in Christ, it comes with a calling and a responsibility. Here it is. We are to find a place to stand where our faith can give light. Okay, we are to find a place in our life, in our neighborhood, in our community, in our relational uh, circle of influence. We're to find a place to stand where our faith can give light to everyone in our household, to all who enter into our sphere of influence. Did you understand this about your calling? You're supposed to radiate, to reflect that light into all the world around you. When Jesus said, your light gives light to everyone in the house, uh, many Jews, he says this in Matthew 5.15, when he says, uh, your light gives light to everyone in the house, many Jews thought that he was simply meaning Israel, those who are already in the household of faith. But Luke, in his gospel, he understands this a little bit differently, doesn't he? Let's look. At, at a, he, he, he thinks that Jesus is saying, you being light on a hill, set up high, giving light to all who will come into the house. He hears it differently, and there's a reason why. Let's look at Luke chapter 11, verse 33. Let's how Luke recalls Jesus' words here. Luke 11, 33. No one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where, it, where its light can be seen by who? By all who enter the house. Do you notice a difference here? Matthew says, No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Luke says, No one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. What's going on here? What's being communicated here? What truth about Jesus and His commissioning of us is being uh, expressed? See, there's a subtle shift here. A subtle shift is taking place, but let's not miss it. It's important to recognize, who was Matthew? Matthew was a Jew writing primarily to a Jewish audience. So he says that the light is for everyone in the house. What Jesus has come to reveal to, 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 and to share is for the house of Israel, those in the house, right? But Luke, who's Luke? Luke is a Gentile. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile, and he's writing to a largely non-Jewish audience. He hears it, and he understands that the light is giving illumination to who? All who will enter that house. All who will come into the household of faith because of that witness. Isn't this cool? It's amazing. I never saw this before until I was studying this passage and looking at the parallel uh, gospel accounts. Matthew hears it speaking to Israel. Luke hears it speaking to the nations. All who come in to this house. All who enter the house. What this means is that the good news of Jesus Christ, it is not just for the insiders. It is not just for Israel. It is for all who will come in. All who will place their faith in Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile alike, it's for everybody. 
those already in the house, and those who will come into the house by the faithful witness of those who follow Jesus and live in His way. Jesus is expressing His desire. Yes, I pray that, Jew, that, that Israel will see the light of truth. That leads to life. But I also desire that all the nations will come in. I will be glorified in all the world, among all the nations. So set your light upon a hill and let it shine brightly for all who will come in. Our calling is clear. By faith in Jesus, we have become the light of the world. And our light is to be shared with all those around us for their cleansing, for their benefit, and for their blessing, so that others may see it and enjoy and discover this light of life. I hope you're getting excited about this. What Jesus meant, what He's empowering you to be and to do in the world. There is to be a very public aspect to your identification with Christ. Let me be clear. There is a very public aspect to your identification with Christ in which our lives are lifted up as a beacon of Jesus' self-giving love in the world. Your life is to be a hilltop signal of hope and a sign of salvation. Our lives are to give light to all who will come in to the household of faith. Your light, my light, for all who will come into the household of faith. Our good deeds and our fruitful lives will become a powerful witness to others who will in turn join with us in praising our Father. To do anything less in the Christian life is to miss the point. I can't be more basic than that. To do anything less in the Christian life is to miss the point. It's to hide our lamp and hide it under a bushel. No! Let's let it shine. <laughs> I was working on that, figuring out how to tie that in. I think I did pretty well, actually. Uh, but let's be honest. Many of us have been very private in the practice of our faith. And we think by doing that, keeping it private, we're being respectful. But we're not. We're not. In fact, we're being disobedient. That's hard. That's a hard teaching. But for us to hear Jesus' teachings and to dis disregard it, to disobey it it's, it, it's sin. That Jesus would send us into the world to be something, we would say, no, actually, I think I know better. I'm going to keep it private. I'm going to keep it a personal thing. I don't want it to offend. I don't want it to uh, encroach on someone else's uh, way of living. We've been very private in the practice of our faith. We've seen it as a personal thing that must not offend or challenge anyone. As a result... Far too many Christ followers have been hiding, hiding in the shadows, pulling the curtains, residing under baskets, being very timid and letting their light shine brightly, unwilling to actually be set up on a stand and to join Christ in being a city on a hill. Thus, no one in your life is being blessed. Your light isn't bringing cleansing. It isn't uh, providing illumination of truth to anyone that God has placed in your life. And that, my friends, is a waste. That God would place people in your life and you would uh, be unwilling to share the light that leads to life. And here's another problem, and I've said this already, but the problem ultimately at root is uh, it, it's disobedience. Because when we decide that we will not share our light, we will not let our light shine before men, we are living as if Jesus didn't know what he was saying. 
We're deciding that Jesus didn't either know what he was saying or he didn't mean what he was saying. And how, how dare we do that? That makes me nervous. More nervous than touching a handrail on an escalator, by far. That I would hear Jesus speak clearly to me and say, I don't believe you. I don't believe you, Jesus. I don't think you meant that. My prayer is that you will step into your calling. My prayer is that all of us will find our place and that we will start to shine brightly this week. That we, that we will shine brightly, shine ultraviolently as, as the light of your faith in Jesus Christ is set up high. And you start illuminating in contextual, practical, and meaningful ways in your world. And you start seeing the people you love glorify God, that they would come alongside worshiping God with us, that they would be blessed by all that Jesus has done for them in his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood. Let me leave you with this. A year from now, I mean, you look around, there's lots of seats here. <laughs> A year from now, what will be different? Not just in your life, but in our church. What will be different? Who of your neighbors, of your acquaintances, of your friends will be worshiping alongside you a year from now? What will have changed or will, have, will nothing have changed? Who will be worshiping with us? Who will be shining brightly because of us a year from now? Who is it for you? Who is it that God's impressing upon your heart? Guys, obedience starts now. Can we go into this week with a different understanding? Can we go in this week with a different commitment? That I will believe what Jesus said and I will order my life around that truth. I want to trust and I want to obey. That's at the heart of what Jesus is asking. Trust me and obey me. Trust and obey. Can we all commit to that today at a deeper level? I will trust Jesus and I will obey Him starting now. This week, I will shine brightly. I am a city on a hill. Let's pray. Father, give us strength, I pray. Lord, I'm thankful that your Holy Spirit brings conviction into our hearts because so many times we get distracted, we get um, off course, we, we get our priorities out of whack. We have misunderstandings about what it means to be a Christ follower, what it means to be your people in the world. Sometimes we can reduce it down to some pretty meaningless understandings about just believe this, agree with that, go here on this day at this time, sit in church, give in the offering. We can reduce it down to stuff that just is, is uh, uh, functional patterns, but they're not really transformative. They're not really actually helping us shine our light in the world that makes any kind of difference. It really asks anything of us. God, I pray that you would... Uh, Get our attention this morning. Speak to our hearts. Call us to a place of deeper obedience, steadfast obedience. God, that we would hear the simple truth that we're salt and we're light in the world. Just like you were the salt of the earth and you were the light of the world, now we are, through the power of your Holy Spirit, sent out into that same world to be that same kind of salt and that same kind of light. God, work that truth into our hearts and help us to see the opportunities that lie before us. 
to be salt, be light in people's lives uh, that are right around us. God, you've placed people all around us that can fall under the radiance of your goodness, that which we are reflecting and uh, revealing and representing in our world. God, we've missed so many opportunities. We've, we've been timid. We've been uh, prideful. We've been uh, just obnoxiously arrogant. And God, we've not been willing to let your light shine through us into our world. So God, please break that spirit of pride. Break that spirit of disobedience in us. Lead us to a place where we are willing to follow you. That when we're willing to be set up high, like a city on a hill, we would identify with you and understand that you said, take up your cross and follow me. That we too are being lifted up in a, in, a, in a sense like you were lifted up. We're sacrificing for the sake of the world. May our obedience be a sacrifice of, uh, of worship and of praise to you. Lord, do a work in us, we ask. God, if, if there's anyone here that's never followed Jesus, I pray that they would hear this clarion call of meaning, of purpose, of salt and light, that you're invited in. This light of Christ, the light of truth, is falling upon you today for a reason. So I pray that the, uh, any of those who've never trusted in Jesus would sense that today is the day. And I pray for my friends who've been following Jesus. I pray that today there would be a stake driven into the ground that says, from this point forward, things are different. What my life is about, what my life is radiating, it's going to be faithful to Jesus. I'm going to live in the truth of what Jesus told me to do. I'm going to live in the truth of who Jesus said I am in the world. God, help us be salt and light in the world starting now. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. We're going to worship a bit more. And uh, I encourage you to pray. Sit with the Lord. Say, search me and know me. Identify my anxious thoughts and my unwillingness in my heart. And lead me in the way everlasting. The Holy Spirit's at work in this room and will do the work in you that God desires. So I pray that you be available this morning. Make the most of this opportunity.